From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 29. We have an awesome show today that's timely on a number of fronts. First off, it's the first show of the Major League Baseball offseason. The regular season just wrapped up, which means that we have some exciting weeks ahead um, at Cressy Sports Performance and in the baseball world. On our front, um, a lot of our pro guys roll back in to start their offseason training. And then in baseball on the whole, there's plenty of really good playoff baseball to watch every single day. To celebrate, I've actually put my popular resource, Sturdy Shoulder Solutions, on sale for $40 off through this upcoming Sunday, October 6th at midnight. It's been one of my most impactful resources for a lot of coaches and players alike, and it's particularly useful if you're someone who's planning to work with baseball players this offseason. So if you're interested in checking it out, you can head to www.sturdyshoulders.com and enter the coupon code OFFSEASON19 at checkout to get the $40 off discount. Again, that's www.sturdyshoulders.com shoulders.com and the coupon code is off season 19. This is also a timely show because today's guest is actually on the coaching staff with the St. Louis Cardinals, who just won the National League Central and will open against the Atlanta Braves this week. I should note that we did have a little bit of audio issues as we were recording this while he was on the road, but luckily we caught it, uh, called in some tech ninjas to make it as um, you know basically audible as possible, and I think it worked out well. So I'd much rather have it out there, even if the audio isn't pristine, just because I think the information is that important to get out to the coaching world. So I think you'll really enjoy it, and again, apologies for the audio quality. Hopefully we can make it work for everybody. Today's guest played college baseball at Butler University before moving on to two years of independent baseball. Thereafter, he completed a master's degree in exercise science from Louisiana Tech University, where he was involved in various baseball training and research, as well as strength and conditioning work with the school's baseball and softball programs. At the completion of his master's work, he was hired by the St. Louis Cardinals as a minor league hitting coach, and he became the minor league hitting coordinator for four years before being hired away by the Houston Astros. He spent six years with the Astros, working his way up to serve as a major league hitting coordinator for four years and one year as a major league hitting coach in 2018. This past November, he returned to the Cardinals as the major league hitting coach. He's also a certified strength and conditioning specialist through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And this podcast, you'll really appreciate how his knowledge of anatomy and function in this realm impacts his approaches to teaching hitting. He's also one of the co-organizers of the Slugfest Clinic that will take place this November in West Palm Beach. So we talk about that um, on the podcast and definitely an event you want to check out. So please welcome to the show, Jeff Albert. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. You got it. So I, I'm I'm intrigued because I think with this conversation can go in a few different directions. So we're going to try to do stuff for maybe the young coaches out there that want to try to be the next Jeff Albert, um, as well as obviously the the young aspiring hitters who want to who want to be better in their game. So you know you're you're kind of at the forefront of a revolution of young coaches making big waves in this game at a you know an age where. You know, you don't have a, a ton of maybe professional playing experience. You know, I looked it up. You got 24 career plate appearances in independent ball. So, um, and, and I like the fact that I can call you a young coach because I think you're just older than me. We're both 38. So it actually is really just a pat on my back to make me feel better about myself. So 
I guess my, my question for you is, as you see this, like this new generation of like young coaches ending the game, um, you know, what competitive advantage did you have to have you to help that helped you overcome, you know, the, the classic, well, you didn't play in the big leagues argument that you probably faced earlier in your career. Um, I mean, yeah, I got to say first that, you know, if, if, if you're out there and you're listening, you shouldn't be trying to become uh, a Jeff Albert. That's not a good goal. You know, you should be trying to uh, do the best you can to learn and get better and, you know, by the time you kind of move along in your career, you're doing something far past uh, the point where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gets to, you know, your question about the whole competitive advantage. It didn't start as a competitive advantage. It started as I was trying to figure out how to become a better player myself mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to hit better and hit more power and increase bat speed and do all that. Uh, you know, and so at the time, the late 90s, early 2000s, there wasn't really a lot of information on that. Um mm-hmm. Paul Nyman from uh, Set Pro was, uh, he was the guy that was putting out some information. I learned a lot from him about uh, training, way to implement training, mm-hmm. um, how to do video analysis. And I was basically just doing that while I was in college and, and trying to figure that out. Um, so the big thing really looking back was constantly asking the question, why or how do I get better? And just going through that process led me to um, graduate school, learning about biomechanics and motor learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, even sports psychology for that matter. And so I, I think just constantly asking that question about improvement and progress, like constantly asking why and how to get better, mm-hmm. uh, led me down uh, you know, a few different roads. And it turned out, you know, by the time I was graduating, um, you know, at the end of 2007, early 2008, and, and sending out applications and trying to get in professional baseball, I was nearly, I was days away from accepting a job as a strength and conditioning coach. Mm-hmm. Because I thought that was my way in. I, I didn't even know how to try and become a hitting uh, coach at that time. Um, you know, and that I got a con- uh, contacted by, um, you know, Jeff Luno, who's now the you know, GM of the Astros and at the time was um, the farm director for the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, it turned out there weren't really too many people uh, that were doing, uh, you know, that kind of work that I was doing um, on the hitting side. So uh, that's kind of how I got in the door and, um over, over time, just continuing that process has turned out to be very advantageous for me. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's really interesting. I always talk to like young strength and conditioning coaches is like, if you understand anatomy and what good movement looks like, you can go in a million different directions. Like you literally pivoted, you know, and, and went from being strength and conditioning coach to being a hitting coach. It seems like on a dime early in your career because you had that background. Yeah. I think that, you know, like in baseball, it's much different now, but like early on, if you were strength conditioning coach um you know strength conditioning was um kind of still in the early stages i think in professional baseball so you kind of stay in the weight room and don't say too much about the hitting or do or pitching or whatever mm-hmm. kind of stay in your lane type of thing um but i looked at it as like man there we're talking about this very specialized thing in the swing but um we don't know enough about you know, general anatomy or, or movement or like, say, rotation pattern of the hips, stuff like that. And uh, and so I was able to find that or find more information on that much more in different areas. The whole idea of lateralization, mm-hmm. um, from strength conditioning from the golf world. Uh, so that was, I felt like a huge advantage and a huge research uh, resource for me. Coach, like I knew where there was kind of a lack of information and knew how to kind of go to other sports, whether it was um, maybe track and field, something like that, mm-hmm. to, to find information that was lacking in my area. 
Absolutely. And, you know, in spite of the fact that baseball itself changes dramatically, or at least the way it's it's watched, the way it's analyzed, you know, five years ago compared to now is, is light years differently. You know, certainly quality movement, anatomy, these things don't evolve dramatically over the course of time. So with that in mind, like when you're talking about young coaches, what are the what are the traits that you that you had back then that you also maybe look for now? Um, you know, when you when you interview, you know, basically potential minor league you know candidates, like what what are you looking to see that makes them stand out? And and you know, on the other side of things, what are the biggest holes that you see in the resumes of, of people that want to you know chase the professional dream? That's that's really good because I get you know when I do kind of clinics and stuff in the off season, I just come across coaches that contact me or whatever they're kind of asking that question about how to get in the door and um i think the biggest thing is like that's not i don't i feel like that's not the right question to be asking mm-hmm. um or you shouldn't be spending a lot of time asking a question you should be spending more time uh, just doing stuff mm-hmm. coaching um whatever you can or wherever you are or, uh so for example like in my story i wasn't uh coaching uh, but I was while well, I was in graduate school and I was uh, a graduate assistant in the extra science program, so I had to actually like teach classes mm-hmm. that I knew nothing about, like racquetball and tennis and <laughs> classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to, uh, or I, I was strengthening, I helped out with strength conditioning, baseball, softball, and I basically just um, volunteered to do like video analysis with the baseball team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did an internship with the independent league team and just was like jack of all trades for them, strength conditioning. <laughs> pitching, hitting video, like you name it. Mm-hmm. So I just did as much as I could where I was yep. and then put all that stuff together and just basically just he blasted it out. I was just sending anyone and everyone I could find, like kind of sending them information and telling them what I could do and, and what I was, was looking uh, to do. And um, I think when I see someone that's doing that, like someone that's just out there, uh, trying to do a good job or be innovative where they are. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's really attractive. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, if you're, you know, if you're coming up to me and you're asking me, Hey, how do I get my foot in the door? Or, yeah. I mean, that's fine. But if, if there's nothing behind it, like you really haven't done any, um, work to like grow your skills, uh, or try basically like build up anything, um, that looks like something like a resume, mm-hmm. uh, then it just looks like you, you're not you're not really like doing the work that that's going to attract um, basically like someone that wants to hire you. Absolutely, and, and I'm actually kind of curious. So first off, I noted that you you taught spin classes, and that would explain why you're always throwing airdyne challenges at me on the on the bike in the off season. So uh, aside from that, so think about it this way, right? Right now, baseball is it's kind of in a in an interesting transition time. Um, you see like a Wes Johnson getting hired by the twins and going right to the, to the major leagues from the college ranks, you know, that's becoming more and more common. Um, and, you know, certainly like these are very progressive guys and obviously with Wes, it's gone great. And, and there are many other examples of guys who have, who have done that. And even watching myself when Matt Blake was our, our first ever pitching coordinator at Massachusetts. And, you know, he's an assistant farm director for the Indians and in, in a relatively brief amount of time in professional baseball and doing a great job. So I'm curious, like, uh, with that trend happening, where, where do you think, um, you know, potentially people can go, uh, you know, off, off the off the range, so to speak. Like, where can they get into trouble with that? Um, what what do people coming from the outside maybe not know about professional baseball that they need to navigate? And then, you know, what are the qualities that you've seen of guys who have come from either the private sector or college and gone right to the highest levels and and really succeeded in those roles? 
Um, man, that's really hard to, to generalize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to put in the words, it's definitely happening like mm-hmm. last year in the off season. If you're paying attention to the hiring that were happening, like mm-hmm. the hitting coach world in the big leagues and the minor leagues, um, it was way different than anything I'd ever seen before mm-hmm. because I feel like there's been so much progress on, on the pitching side. There's so many great pitching coaches and so much obvious pitching development that's going out there that those questions are happening more on the hitting side. Like, hey, how do we uh, keep up with this? How do we compete with this? How do we um, find ways to be more productive on the hitting side? So, um, you know, there's more information, there's more analytics, there's more technology. And with that comes demand of coaches that can uh, not only consume that information and interact with, uh, say, the front office or the analysts, uh, mm-hmm. the technology side, but then I, I think the big quality moving into the, say, professional baseball um, obviously goes more towards the application side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are a lot more of like the softer skills and figuring out um, the things that change with the relationships and the environment of professional baseball and even within the different levels of the of professional baseball. Um, you know, because at any level of professional baseball, you're, you're dealing with a small fraction of the best baseball players in the world. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, on one hand, they're really good. But on the other hand, almost everybody has something that they can uh, make progress with and do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the higher up you go, the more pressure... Uh, the more pressure there is to perform, and there, and basically, like the less time there is for development. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some aspects of the uh, environment that, that put some demands on the, the type or style of coaching that you might have. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's also kind of like a generation of you know guys at roughly our age, you know, players who maybe just finished their their competitive careers. So I I think of like Sam Fold's a good friend who's player information coordinator for the Phillies. Um, you know, I've heard great things about what Tommy Hotovy's done with the Cubs. You know, being a recently retired guy who's related really well, and uh, actually Brandon Kinsler raved about him when we interviewed him on the podcast. You know, I'm curious, what do you think it is about maybe that that age range, or is it that is it a skill set? You know, I mean, it, is it the the fact fact that these guys are able to relate because they played so recently and also were exposed to the analytics or do you think it's just a type of person that is is really really good at disseminating information from the front office to the players without overwhelming them yeah i think it's um it's all of the above Mm -hmm. it's almost like entirely new positions are popping up Mm -hmm. professional baseball to address the changing demands of what's happening you know in the front office and on the field and i think you know that this range, this the Sam Fold type of guy probably got a little bit of exposure mm-hmm. um, to that when he was playing. And mm-hmm. If it's new and you're, and you're playing, say you're already an established veteran player, mm-hmm. you might just be fine where you are. And what's the point of trying to tackle new information or do anything different when you have something that works uh, perfectly well for you? And that's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of players that, that are out there and then maybe... Um, they're not maybe established or they're coming up or they're a Fourier guy or, or whatever they're in between and they're just looking for that edge and so they're more, more open to um, using the information and finding ways to get better and, and they do and they see that they can make it work and then it just um, you know it kind of spreads over time it spreads in the you know in the big leagues throughout player development and um, you know so just having guys that have some experience with that and speak that language is uh, is really big because there, there's definitely a lot to um you know, taking the information, mm-hmm. paper or spreadsheet and getting it, you know, into the batting cage or onto the field. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. You're you're kind of like a renaissance man of hitting, right? You're looking in the golf world. You're you're out there exploring, obviously, a ton in the strength conditioning community. On top of what you you know, digest on the hitting side, where, where do you see like where, where do you recommend young coaches go to learn more? You know, are there certain disciplines that you look to have them study? Like I always tell our strength conditioning coach, like get exposed to physical therapists, to manual therapists, things like that. What are the what are kind of like the the non traditional education routes that you you really um, emphasize to to other people you're around? Yeah, I mean, that, that was all basically by necessity. Yeah. Like you said, I, you know, I, I couldn't rely on some great professional career that I had or some mm-hmm. status because I didn't have any of those things. Mm-hmm. So looking to different areas um, to gain information, I always felt like it was a valuable resource and, and honestly, like something I needed to do. Mm-hmm. I think early on, I spent more time. I mean, I, you know, I did my master's in exercise science. So mm-hmm. I had the strength conditioning part. I was in the weight room doing all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and looked to... Uh, you know, I would read a lot of research on golf. Um, the guys at TPI, Greg mm-hmm. Rose and Dave Phillips, were really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. You know, tweeted about that for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so track and field, uh, that kind of thing's been helpful. I think where I've been most recently is what you what you just said. Is in the um, probably more like the physical therapy world. It's mm-hmm. A lot of time just talk talk to their trainers, physical therapists, PTs, and um, uh, but, you know, hanging out with you at the gym there. And yeah. Or, um, Kelly Starrett's been amazing, uh, kind of resource to be able to talk to him and see what he's doing. Basically just learn more about, um, what the body does, how it works, uh, shoulders, hips, movement in general, um, and just keep even going, um, kind of think of it, I, I don't know if there's more of a technical way mm-hmm. in this in strength conditioning world, but I kind of see it as like this pyramid, right? Where you have this very specific skill, say your actual swing or you're hitting at the very, very top. And I just kept seeing myself as spending all my time, you know, during the baseball season at the tip of that pyramid. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do was basically like go down and expand the base, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So just um, that kind of drew me more towards like the physical therapy world and watching what guys were doing, uh, like in the gyms for their recovery uh, and things like that. And then seeing what, what I could take from those worlds and apply it to the hitting side. Yeah, and I I think a lot of the like the young coaches now, and I I sound like the old, the cranky old like grandpa yelling to get kids off his lawn by saying this, but they have no idea how much more accessible all the information is now than it was like 2007. I mean, I just can remember like searching and searching and not having anything that I wanted as we got into kind of this baseball niche. Um, so it's so much more accessible. But I think the other one that that I'm actually curious to get your take on. So. As a frame of reference, like uh, earlier this year, I was in St. Louis to do a seminar, and I I came by to to basically uh, my first trip to Bush Stadium, and literally while I was there, I talked to you, I talked to Ollie, I saw um, Thomas, the physical therapist. You know, I've interacted with Jason; he's been to the facility. Um, you know, basically we we've you know uh, had like a, a really good rapport with the Cardinals. In fact, Shane, my business partner, has done some soft tissue work and and all that. Rob Butler's been by the facility. It's 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 so wild to me because five years ago that never would have happened in any organization. It's it, the the open mindedness has has changed so dramatic, and it's not just obviously Cardinals, but like really across baseball. Where nowadays, like you have GMs that are visiting like private facilities like ours. What have you, have you noticed the same thing? Is it just one of those things where all of a sudden it's been you've been able to have so many more resources at your fingertips, or is that something? Yeah, it's so much different. I mean, I just speak to here. So mm-hmm. I've been the minors with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Um, 2008 to 2012 and I went to Houston and came back 
and they've done a really great job here doing exactly what you said on the, mm -hmm. on the performance side, building that out where um, it's so much more integrated and the resources are are so much better. So, I mean, I know I have access to whether it's, uh, you know, Dr. Butler or Jason Shedd on the yeah. performance side, and I can be talking to them about um, kinematic sequence or, you know, screening, uh, power output, range of motion, whatever the case is, and mm -hmm. say, hey, you know, check out this guy's swing, look what he's doing here, what do you think, look for this in the gym, and they'll give me their opinion, and we'll go back and forth and, and just have more of a kind of complete look at, at what the guys are doing uh, on the field, in the weight room, and, and their preparation every day. So um, it, it's changed dramatically. This is my uh, like 12th year freshman mm -hmm. baseball, mm -hmm. and it's not even, it's night and day from, from when I started. Yeah, it's a good idea to just remind coaches, like you never want to be in that scenario where someone tells you to stay in your lane. Like there, there shouldn't be silos in professional baseball. It should be a, or any professional sport for that matter. It should be collaborative efforts across multiple disciplines to help the player. Yeah, I think we're like, um, you know, it's not, sometimes you have lanes in the road where it's like a double solid line, like do not cross. Yeah. We're <laughs> going the opposite way, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's much more like, a single dotted line where you might have your lane, right? But you yes. cross over and it's not two going in opposite directions anymore. It's getting widened. So now it's a four, four lane highway with mm -hmm. all the departments going in the same way and dotted lines where you can cross over. And so, I mean, that's a big thing if you're um, on either side, if you're a young transmission coach, if you're a young hitting coach, being able to kind of speak the language, so to speak, mm -hmm. to the other uh, departments is a big deal. Mm -hmm. That was really helpful having that background for me, just being able to, you know, in baseball and hitting, it's really hard to have, um, you could say some general things like, you know, stay back or stay inside the ball, and mm -hmm. everyone has a different definition to that. Mm -hmm. so, you know, in the strength conditioning world, like, you don't have that. You have very yeah. extension, rotation, like, they're like very clear. Mm -hmm. uh, much more clear definitions of, of movement and discussion so it kind of gets things on the same page so um you know if you're coming up uh, being able to communicate with with the guys and uh with the people in different departments is very helpful absolutely so we're gonna we're gonna shift away from the professional development side of things and actually talk about you know work with hitters which i know is is obviously your, your foremost bread and butter and and one of the things i've always liked about you you know is that you you continue to do some work with younger players you know on the side in the off season so it's not like you're just dealing with genetic freaks who you know were already really good by the time you got them so i'm, I'm curious like to get some of your takes on i guess the hitting lifespan if we had to, to to define it to some degree so when you see younger guys and i'm sure you interact with these guys at clinics in the off season and you know you're 13 to 16 year olds what are your your big biggest limitations to develop? What are the high school coaches and parents on this call as they, they work with younger hitters? Where can they, they really start to, to hone in on progress? I think it, one of the big things is, again, it's kind of going down that spectrum from general to specific. And mm -hmm. I mean, when I personally, when I'm working with some of the younger players, and this goes even to like, uh, you know, little leaguers, young guys. I mean, my son's mm -hmm. turned eight years old. And mm -hmm. You know, we would go do clinics in Alaska for, for years where you're working with um, you know, younger kids, 8, 9, 10 years old. Um, and I think one of the things that really helped me in the offseason to coach younger players was, like, you know, at the time I was learning a lot about implicit, explicit coaching. Mm -hmm. um, and so with the younger players, trying to coach with as few words as possible mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and trying to maximize like the type of movement pattern that you could see and trying to do that in the shortest period of time. That's what I was always going for mm -hmm. as a coach. Um, so one example, I remember seeing a young player and, uh, you know, we're just working the dad's there. It's me, the young guy. And he's just hitting some balls up the tee and he's basically just chopping them straight into the ground. Uh, and, you know, he's right, so he's right handed. I'm standing like in the other um, batter's box kind of up towards the first baseline. And I just put my hand up over my head like a target. Like, so he would almost be like high and towards right field for this young player. I said, hey, just swing towards my hand five times. And he swings towards my hand five times. I said, hey, what's that feel like? And he didn't say anything. He just showed me the difference. So one, where he used to do it, think about his swing going low left. So he's kind of chopping the ball, hitting ground with the shortstop. And he takes five swings towards a high right target towards my hand. Mm -hmm. And then he's swinging the bat like out like he's going to throw it to right field. And then, um, you know, I put the ball back on the tee and I put the target back up there. And I said, just swing at this target. And now he starts like hitting line drives going out towards right center field, going out to the outfield. And um, I mean, this is happening within like five minutes and before and after of the swing. And, uh, you know, you can look at it and it's obvious difference. And and that was like kind of like a light bulb for me. Like, you know, if we can get these players to move better um, as like as quickly as possible without bogging them down with too much information, um, then that's a, like a huge win for everybody. And especially if you're a young player, if you can just get the player in the ballpark of, you know, a good hitting position and a good swing path, that's a major win. Absolutely. And I mean, obviously some of these lessons certainly carry over across. You want to be efficient with your coaching, regardless of the age of the athlete, you know, particularly if you're dealing with big leaguers and it's a long, you know, 162 game season where the last thing you want to do is be talked at when they're already dragging in the dog days of summer. But, you know, does it, does it change as you get to that next block of athletes, these 17 and 18 year olds, you know, like the, the kids who have largely finished puberty or maybe more physically advanced. Um, does, does the focus change in your work with them? Um, you know, I always think of like, minimum effective dose idea mm -hmm. uh and i mean one thing i want to say is the players like get older because you know my experience in professional baseball starts with you know 16 17 18 year olds mm -hmm. uh that are international signs mm -hmm. dominican academy has spent a lot of time over there over the years mm -hmm. um and say the fundamentals of movement or the swing are not going to change or teach mm -hmm. things the same to you know, uh, you know, a, a little leaguer as I would to a major leaguer mm -hmm. the, the principles. I think one thing that I noticed the most with maybe 17 or 18 year olds that are coming out of high school or college, a lot of times, um, you know, they've had maybe more instruction or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's uh, maybe just removing a misconception mm -hmm. or um, I think in uh, Anders Eriksson's book, Peak, he talks about mental representation. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a video, maybe it's a drill, um, so making the mental representation or like, Hey, this is, uh, you know, a, a better way to move or a more efficient way to move or go after the ball or mm -hmm. turn the bat, whatever the case is. Um, I think it's important to kind of get those right early on. Mm -hmm. and like I said, either, either remove a misconception or one thing I think it's missed all the time. Like I never hear anybody talk about this. If a player uh, is at a young age, say he's doing something really well, mm -hmm. it is so important to nail that and make sure that, that player understands what he's doing well. Yeah, He can kind of uh, build on that and not lose it, mm -hmm. uh, not like jump around or say when things kind of go 
um, go off, like he knew what he was doing in the first place that made him good. Mm-hmm. That's a, a big one that I almost never hear anybody talk about. It's true. Coaching is so much about like re, uh, basically identify the faults, comment on the faults, fix the faults. No one ever talks about keeping the good stuff the same. Yeah, you got to identify <laughs> what you do right. You know, absolutely. It's well, I think especially in a world where hey, if you if you fail, you know, seventy percent of the time, you're still one of the best players on the planet. Yeah, it's a different lens, like because you're you're in high school and you're trying to do well and you're trying to get a scholarship and then you're in college and, and you know there's some a uh, certain amount of pressure to to kind of win there and win games for your team. But mm-hmm. when you start looking at it like, hey, the standard is championship level on a major league team, that's a really really high standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that makes it so where, like, you know, hey, you're the SEC player of the year or you won the, the batting title or you're a high school American or whatever, and you come in the draft and think, hey, that's great. Um, and, you yeah, you're a super talented player. But, hey, um, we got to start, you know, working on, like, like either identifying the things that are, that, that are really strong and we want to build off of or, hey, maybe this is a thing that you're really going to have to, um, you know, start working on uh, – in your, you know, in your minor league development, so so you're ready to roll as the lights come on the big. And the thing that I think is always interesting, I'm I'm really intrigued at this perspective for you. So like, is the 18 to 22 demographic where guys are first entering college and pro ball? So I, I mean, I was with Team USA in 2015 um, when the 18U national team won the gold medal in Japan, and um, you know we won. And I mean, that team had Mickey Moniak in center field. He was the first overall pick. It had Will Benson and right and Blake Rutherford. They were left and right field they were both top 20 picks like you could go around and pretty much every one of those guys now is either in pro ball you know or you know is still at a, a big time d1 university and like i just remember going to asia for the first time and none of these guys had ever seen like legit splitters i mean we had guys that missed balls by a foot and a half and these are like literally the best players on the planet so it was it was kind of a good reminder, like, hey, there are a lot of kids out there who also happen to be the best player in the history of their town. And when you get to pro ball, that's literally everybody. So I'm curious, where do where do players get surprised the most when they get to, you know, pro ball? And and maybe the the tag along to that is, what's the lowest hanging fruit for them to get better? Um, I, you know, it's hard. I think the lowest hanging fruit is um, one of the most important things is just that mindset. Uh, you know the the whole growth mindset idea mm-hmm. that, you know, most of those players got there because they worked at something for mm-hmm. a long time really hard. Mm-hmm. And if you switch it from, you know, the prideful thing of being the best in your town or the best in your school or whatever towards, hey, I'm just going to keep this process going. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, maybe if there's something that I'm not as strong at, if I just work hard on that like I did on these other things, then I'm going to make progress on that. So once the players just really start believing in that mindset and that that process, uh, then it becomes really fun. Then you're just like, uh, this is like the Ryan Holiday, um, you know, ego, yeah. and the obstacle is the way. Now those obstacles are become the things that like launch you forward. So I think that mindset uh, is, is huge. There, you know, there's a, uh, I don't want to like throw out names, but I've, I've seen a couple of young players with, I mean, all the talent in the world, you know, top draft picks, top high school players, top college players, and they come in with that mindset and they really just, uh, knock it out of the park mm-hmm. and just continue getting better and better and better as opposed to like, you know, uh, feeling satisfied of what you are or where you are or, um, you know, just like, a, you know, not quite having the willingness to, to mm-hmm. take on some of the challenges. So sometimes, uh, you know, you never know when that 
is going to come, like mm-hmm. in the minor leagues, whether it's like in rookie ball or double A or triple A, uh, when, say, when's that player going to struggle for the first time? I always felt like the sooner the better because you just get over it and you just learn how to start working on the things you need to work on as opposed to, you know, just feeling like you're the best athlete on the field all the time. And, um, yeah, so the, the mindset thing is, is a big deal. Um you know, and then and hopefully the player is ready to, to go after whatever obstacles come up. Yeah, and is that, I mean, there's there's lessons there on the training side of things. I know you're a, you're an advocate for, like, random practice and, you know, letting guys fail a bit on the pro side. Even when they're, you know, taking swings in December and all that, it's not just about having, like, these crisp, perfect rounds. Like, you'll have guys swing and miss on curveballs in December. Like, is that a lesson that you think really needs to get pushed down to the lower levels just to, to expose those, especially the really good players, to failure more often? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think about it all the time in terms of the, the hardest thing about that really is you could set up random practice and you can make practice more difficult. Um, but this is, goes back to what you're asking about the, the unique part of, um, say, coaching in pro ball. So mm-hmm. this is what's different. One thing that's different about kind of doing that, setting that up in the offseason, mm-hmm. college or, or, or high school or whatever Um is that like, you know, in Pro Bowl, when you're doing that, you're doing that in season, you're doing that in a competitive season. Yeah. With a lot on the line all the time. Exactly. If you're, if you're beating guys down in, in practice, um, you know, that's not maybe the best strategy in terms of, like, confidence and getting guys mentally ready for the game. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think that's a really interesting topic. Absolutely. I need to learn a lot more about in professional baseball. One thing I really love on that was from um, – the Rise of Superman. I don't really know how to quantify this, but there's the first person I heard draw a number. He talked about difficulty of practice or deliberate practice mm-hmm. being like 4% more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think of that in the training world, you know, say you squat 300 pounds and you have your percentages and do whatever. So you know how to make it, you know how to make it 4% heavier. Yeah. You just do the path. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of quantify that in, base, in baseball, but I think the idea is you know, you want to make it challenging, but you don't want to like, blow guys away, right? That's a great point. I mean, you, it's such a fine balance in a sport that has so much failure versus, you know, something where you know that, you know, maybe there's something you can do motor learning-wise that might bring them, you know, a little bit more success. So, I mean, I, I feel like I've seen that too, where, you know, there's been times where we've set up practice and made it really difficult, and then you're not seeing a lot of progress. So someone said this to me uh, not too long ago, where I read this somewhere, where they just talked about, point of practice being to improve the outcome in the game not just to be like practice all-stars you know yeah like i'm super guilty of that i got to keep that kind of um you know front of mind for myself because you know if we're practicing something and we're not getting the outcome that we want in the game then you got to make a real decision on are we going to keep going down this road or are we going to make an adjustment yeah and i'm actually curious so uh, we had bobby tewksbury on uh, several episodes ago and I asked him, you know, in light of kind of the pitch design revolution that's happening and how much harder it is to be a hitter in the big league level, you know, obviously the game has changed dramatically. We're seeing a lot more strikeouts. We're seeing a lot more home runs. Um, You know, this year the Twins set major league record for home runs before August was even over. Um, And I asked Bobby, where do you see the the game going in in the next few years? And he said, you know, he thinks that you're going to see guys having two different swings depending on type of pitcher they're pacing and, you know, the counts and things like that. And I'm curious to get your take. Where do you you see baseball trending over the next few years? And, you know, how can hitters work to keep up with this, you know, pitch design trend that's basically taking over baseball and, 
I love your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> pitchers are throwing harder than ever and mm -hmm. throwing like more off-speed pitches than ever. Like, mm -hmm. I don't even know. There's multiple teams now this year. Teams, like the whole team in the major leagues, is throwing like more than 50% off-speed pitches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, average fastballs like up close to like 92 miles an hour. Yeah. From the bullpen, like even higher. And so, I mean, on, on one side, it's good for the development because it forces the issue on the need for development and efficiency yeah. in terms of um, the efficiency of the swing, swing path, you know, bat speed quickness, the whole thing, um, making sure you're working on, say, different parts of the strike zone or using the whole field or the quality of your batted ball. Mm -hmm. All those kind of come under the microscope. And so I think in general... Um, the, the skill set of the hitter is need not only needs to become better, but needs to become more well-rounded. Or mm -hmm. if you basically have more of a strength, say, um, exit, say you hit the ball 115 plus miles an hour, which is crazy hard, mm -hmm. um, you, you, your strength needs to become more extreme, mm -hmm. uh, or like. A, it's it's it'll be hard. I feel like feel like it'll be harder to be one dimensional unless your one dimensional is just out of this world. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely getting it's definitely getting tough if you are paying attention to what's going on in the pitching world. We're getting pretty good. Oh, no doubt about it. All right, so we're gonna switch gears. Uh, let's let's talk a little about Slugfest. So this was a, an event that's that's run before, and you're kind of helping to take the lead on organizing it. It's in our our backyard in West Palm Beach. Um, uh, give us a little insights on where the idea originated, what it entails, and, and make sure all our listeners know where they can uh, they can check it out. Okay, this thing is awesome. Dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about it like uh, having this conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, like probably in a room full of other people that could just as easily, you know, go back. You know, they could all take part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, look at the lineup of speakers, and I'm like, holy cow! I, every one of these people is like someone that I would like want to talk to or want to learn something from. Um, can we get all these people in a room at the same time with a bunch of attendees that are basically like? all very similar minded in the sense of not about what level I'm, you know, whether it's baseball, softball, major leagues, minor leagues, college, high school, you know, travel ball, whatever. Um, you know, the experience last year was like, man, all these coaches are here and they have this crazy desire uh, to get better. And so the interaction with uh, not just like the quality of the speakers that were there, the quality of the attendees, like major league coaches, front office people, the colleges and high schools and, and, uh, the coaches that were represented there just in attendance was like, it was totally unbelievable. So, you know, uh, last year was the first year uh, for Slugfest. This is year two, um, you know, but uh, so we were, we were talking about it and, and just and trying to come up with ways to take the next step and, and make it better. So we landed in Palm Beach uh, this November, November 22nd to 24th. So, um, you know, everyone's really excited about it. That's awesome. Oh, I'm excited. I'm going to speak at it as well. Um, very, very cool conference. Um, I'm way out over my skis with some of the talent that's on this, uh, this lineup. So it'll be cool to be a part of it. Um, you can check it out at slugfestconference.com. 
Um, and it's November 22nd through 24th. It's a three-day event in West Palm. Um, I can tell you that there's no better weather on the planet than, than West Palm in November. So if you're in a cold weather climate and you're looking for a, a reason to escape, um, that's definitely a good spot to not just get educated, but also from a pure networking standpoint. Events like this, Pitchapalooza, a lot of these events are really, really good just for getting around people who may be in pro ball or college ranks just to, to make some connections and, and learn how you can advance your career. So really good spot. That's a big deal. I talked to so many uh, young coaches last year, um, you know, that were you know, asking those questions about you know, moving forward with their career, wherever that is. Um, some guys were wanting to move uh, through the college ranks. Um, it really uh, came about with Tyler Jeske and, and Dylan Lawson, who were, at, you know, in college at Missouri State and Missouri, respectively, at the time. Um, and, and they kind of the idea what for Slugfest was born last year. And then I'm kind of a spoke there uh, and was hanging out with Holly Marmel uh, in the crowd. And we just all got together and we're like, you know, how do we keep going with this thing and make it better? So, you know, like you said, slugfestconference.com. Um, uh, the lineup of speakers is up there already. Go check it out. Uh, we got representatives from like front office, from technology world, Asian baseball, minor league baseball, uh, baseball or college baseball. Uh, college softball, you name it, we're bringing them all together. In uh, West Palm Beach is a pretty uh, sweet location for it. So I'm uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be great. So folks can find you on Twitter. It's Jeff M. Albert. I always like your Twitter because you're always sharing. You're like a curator of good content, whether it's fitness stuff, hitting stuff, you know, good reads that relate to both. So it's J-E-F-F-M-A-L-B-E-R-T. Um, Jeff, this is awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, I tweet a lot. I tweet a lot of books. You can send me uh, questions or messages there. And the Twitter for Slugfest is uh, at Slugfest2019. Awesome. Well, we will spread the word and good luck the rest of the way with the Cardinals, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, We'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.